Welcome to Syracuse On Stage, a podcast that pulls back the curtain and explores the process of creating theater in the heart of central New York. I'm your host, Melissa Crespo, the Associate Artistic Director of Syracuse Stage, currently recording from WCNY Studios here in Syracuse, New York. We had so much fun talking with our former Artistic Director Bob Mass that here we are again for part two. Hi, Bob. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. Okay. So, uh... It's our 50th anniversary, as of course we've been celebrating. It's going to be a year-long celebration. Is there anything you would have done differently in terms of your life in the theater? Not necessarily Syracuse stage proper. As as someone who also has been making theater my whole life, uh, we were talking before we started recording that we have a lot in common in terms of how we got our starts, when we started directing. You were an actor when you were a kid. I was. Um, and this life isn't easy. No, it's not. It's not. And I, you, you talked That never to, occurred to me. Yeah. Is there anything you would have done differently? I'm not sure because uh, when I started teaching, which mm-hmm. was after I left Blair Arts Horizons, I said to my friend Kenny, I, I wish I knew what I was good at so I could do it, and my life would be a straight line. Mm. And he said to me, when you are 80 and you look back, it will have been a straight line. Isn't that something? That's beautiful. I know. And, and now I, you're And in, I agree with that. You're I in your 80s now, now. I'm in my 90s. <gasps> you are not. Yes, I am. You look good, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> it's an act. <laughs> well, we're in theater. We're, right. all, we're all actors. Right. But... Uh, <laughs> but um, I would have to say no, because everything has led inexorably forward. Mm-hmm. And my artistic directorship has just has changed as I sort of moved up in the chain, as you will. Um, so I don't know where I was supposed to go next, Yeah, you know, when I left. And I left because Jim was leaving. And he'd been there 25 years. He'd been there for almost from the beginning. Wow. But I thought... He came into my office one day and said, I'm giving my notice. I said, okay, well, then I'm out of here, too, because I'm not going to train a new managing director, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to put up with that. So I think I sh- we should give our notice together, which will be good, mm-hmm. and we're going to tell them we don't have one foot out the door whenever it happens, whenever you've got somebody, but, but we've given our notice. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did, and it took about two years. Really? It took a while, yeah. They had a search. You know, yeah. and, and we were not in on it, although I knew everybody that they were seeing. Mm-hmm. But I kept my mouth shut, which was very hard to do. <laughs> but I did. I stayed out of it. Um, and then, of course, they, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, you made sure you left the theater in good hands. Uh, and it's still thriving. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's been fun to work there so far. <laughs> I, I always enjoyed myself. Don and I... Uh, he's the production manager, yeah. and he had to produce everything I decided to do. Um, but my very first day in the office, I went into his office to begin a conversation, and he had a newspaper in front of him, and he shoved it in front of me, and it was a review of a production of Woman in Black, which was what the board had selected as the third play of the season that I was to produce. The board selected it? Well, there was nobody else there. Oh, I see. There was nobody. Got it. So the board put that together, and I I didn't want to direct it, but it was what they had left open. Mm -hmm. 
So he slid, slid this review, newspaper over, and, it, and the, what the review basically said is, the actors are terrific, but the play isn't worth a nickel, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. I said, that's what I think. <laughs> and so we looked at each other, and I said, picked up the paper, and I went into Jim's office, and I said, could you explain to me why you've chosen this play mm. so I can get a further understanding of it? He said, well, no, no particular reason. I said, right, that's what I thought. So I said, this is theatrical chicanery, ghosts and creaking walls and everything, and it has no human interest whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Why don't we not do it? And he looked at me in horror. People, subscribers hate having it changed. I know, and and I, know. I said, you know, why don't I? Supposing I submit a one-person show instead of three equity sal salaries, there'll be one equity salary. That'll be make it a little easier to swallow. Mm -hmm. The audience won't know that, but the staff will. Yeah. And they'll see that I'm respectful of the budget. He said, okay. So I put in Shirley Valentine, which is a play I love. Yeah. And um, so that was, and I didn't want to do the other play either. <laughs> They'd save two play, two slots for the incoming director. Uh -huh. The other one was Sylvia, a play about a man who brings a dog home. Oh. You know, and I thought it was... Not great, Did but I thought I could do it. Okay. I couldn't do Woman in Black. I just could not. Especially for your first season. Yeah, not a way I wanted to introduce myself. Yeah, yeah. So my second season was really my introduction. Got it. Because I picked the plays. So my first, my first thing I did on the job was get rid of one play. <laughs> but, but it seems like uh, you and Don bonded over that. Yes. The first play I directed... Well, that was uh, Shirley Valentine. I think it happened on, I don't remember, one of the first plays I directed. And I always say to the designers, anybody can say anything. The set designer can talk to the lighting designer. The costume designer can talk to me. But we can have a conversation about this all. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's the rule, ground rules. So they all did. Mm. So after the production was running, the designers were all gone, we were going to have a, what do you call it? Postmortem. Postmortem, very mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. A postmortem. And talk about it all. And the first thing Don said was, well, we're not having any of them back. And I said, why not? They were, we, had, we had a crack team. He said, well, they are, they're talking too much. <laughs> I said, like Don. Don, I authorize that. Mm. I think that's good design, and it's good artistic leadership. Anybody can say anything. Yeah. So he said, okay. But that was new for him. Oh, wow. I thought, and I thought, oh, well, it's not going to, I'm not keeping people shut, having their mouths shut. They have ideas they have to tell me. Collaboration. It's about collaboration. Yeah, and yeah. they're right in the middle of it. So anybody can say anything. And I, I don't have to accept what they say, but mm -hmm. I might, mm -hmm. you know. But it's interesting to hear that that wasn't, a common thing, you know, maybe it was an industry thing because, you know, I'm sure Don had seen a lot of other shows. Right, he'd been there for a long time. Yeah. And, and, and I guess people didn't speak to each other or didn't open up. But I learned early on that I'm going to get the credit. <laughs> right? He stuck his tongue out. Um, I'm going to get the credit if it's all good in any case. Yeah. And if anybody has a good idea... When we took M. Butterfly to Charlotte uh -huh. on, on a tour, 
the local university had a little theater program. I don't know. I'm being contemptuous, but <laughs> some little thing. So he, the guy called me, and uh, he said, uh, who ran the theater program there, and he said, one of his students would love to sit in on the put-in. Mm -hmm. I said, it's just a put-in. It's not going to watch any real rehearsing. He said, well, the kid wants to be there. Is that okay? So I said, sure, sure. Let him. So he came, and he sat there. Mm -hmm. And then at one point in one scene... He said, can I ask you a question? And he had a really good question about something to do with the telephone. I can't even remember what it was, but it was really good. Uh -huh. It was insightful. Yeah. And I said to him, listen to me, you. I said, when you're a famous Broadway director and an usher wants to give you a note, you take it. <laughs> okay? You don't have to listen to him, but you have to hear him. Yeah. Because we listen to anybody. That's our job. That was your way of saying, good note. Right. That was my way of saying, I scared the life out of him when I said it. I but, think I would have been terrified as well. But I was complimenting yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I said, when you're a famous Broadway director, you listen to anybody. Mm -hmm. And who, there is a famous Broadway director who won't listen to anybody, even his own team. Oh, He's no. famous for it. Uh-oh. Doesn't want to hear from anybody, so he's had a bunch of failures. Can you tell me after we stop recording sure. who it is? Okay. <laughs> Do I remember who it is? Yeah. My, my first directing teacher, Betsy Tucker from UVA, told me it is always the director's fault, yeah. good or bad. Right. Absolutely. So I to I've, I've taken that every day. Right. Absol yeah. That is absolutely true. Um, and I'm not afraid of that. Yeah, me neither. Right. You can't be. Yeah, you, you yeah be or you're in the wrong profession. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, this is, this is fantastic. So why do you think a professional theater like Syracuse Stage is important or should exist in Syracuse? Because it's central New York. It's not a huge ecosystem of theater like it is in New York City, which you were used to before. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are other theaters. There are wonderful theaters around. But, you know, in terms of a LORT, which stands for League of Resident Theaters, for those of you who don't know, and, um, you know, we... Uh, professional theater, meaning we cast out of uh, largely out of New York. We do try to cast locally when we can. We're our own producing house, so we're separate from Syracuse University, but we work in tandem with them. Um, and it's a lot of people we employ who don't live here. Right. But yet, you know, we're serving the community of Syracuse and neighboring towns with professional theater. Yeah. So what? That's, that's what, important. It is. And and why? Why do you think? I like to think that people like to hear stories after dinner. <laughs> I love that answer. That's what I mean. I think people like sitting around a campfire mm. and telling stories. I think that is a deep human need. And if they can afford it, yeah. people will come to the theater because the stories are worth hearing. They'll coax them out of their houses. Right. Especially when it's snowing outside, as it does in Syracuse, New York. January is a great time. <laughs> I it agree. Is. I agree. And the audience here is a great audience. And I think they mostly want real theater. Mm. They want a real theater experience. Mm -hmm. They don't want to see warmed over TV. That's true. I, that's what I think. And 
you know, there's this play, uh, Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. You know it? Yeah. Yeah. Three people, and it's about nuclear fission, supposedly. <laughs> yeah. Not really, but that's what they talk about, nuclear fission. And I saw it on Broadway, and I loved it. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I, and I noted that in the program, I noted that the three actors, the three understudies, were people I knew hmm. personally. So I came back and I said to Jim, you know, I know those three understudies. I bet we could get them to come up for a weekend and do a performance and we oh. could sell tickets. He said, why don't we just produce it, Bob? <laughs> Your own production? Yeah. Yeah. I thought, really? <laughs> you think people would come in January? This was early on. And he said, yeah. And we sold it out. Oh. And we, we actually, it, it made $25,000 more at the box office than we had projected mm. in January. A play about nuclear fission. Because it isn't really. Mm. It's a father-son play. Mm -hmm. Really. Deep inside. Even though it was an unknown title to folks around here. Right. That's actually a great segue. Because I wanted to ask you about making new plays. Because you founded a theater, Playwrights Horizons, which is dedicated to the playwright. Right, but I, in the beginning, I, in the first five years, I didn't charge money. Really? No, because I didn't believe in it. I thought most of these plays are not going to cohere happily or successfully or whatever you want to call it. But they, playwrights need this experience. Uh -huh. So we need the audience to be there. So it has to be free. So how did that work out? Well, it worked out well at the Y. It didn't work so well... Well, it worked out well at the when I was in the Y uh -huh. for three years because I was funny and I made a funny <laughs> speech and it was charming mm -hmm. and, you know, blah, 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 blah. On, on 42nd Street, suddenly, I couldn't be there all the time mm. because we also had the theater in Queens. So different staff people had to do it. And most people are not comfortable yeah. doing it. Yeah. And if you're not comfortable, that's what reads. Yeah. So it, we didn't, weren't able to make any kind of money with people. So we had to stop doing it, and we had to start charging. And then we were getting better and better. Once Andre came on board, mm -hmm. we were getting better at the plays we chose to do. And this is Andre Bishop yes. you're referring to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was a volunteer, but really? he couldn't do anything, you know. A friend of his, Leland, called me up and said, well, I have a friend who wants to volunteer. So you, oh, oh, good, send him over. And Leland said, no, 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 you have to have dinner with him first. I have to have dinner with a volunteer? Are you crazy? <laughs> he said, no, just do it, Bob. <laughs> so when people say that, I say, okay, fine, yeah. I'll do it. So we had dinner at the, um, the Supreme Macaroni Factory <laughs> on, down on 9th Avenue. It was a little restaurant in the back of a grocery store. That's a great title for a restaurant. Right. <laughs> But but I immediately fell under his spell. Mm -hmm. I mean, within minutes, I thought, I'm going to know this guy all my life. I mean, I think he's just terrific. So he came shortly thereafter and began to volunteer, but he couldn't do anything. He was helpless. You know, paint that wall. Uh, you know. <laughs> he didn't want to. <laughs> he didn't want to do anything. He couldn't work backstage, that was for sure. Yeah. And he couldn't do anything in the building. So he just was wandering around. Yeah. And then one day he came to my office and the, I had this huge picture window with a wide shelf and I was piling the scripts up that were still in manila envelopes. And he had taken 10 of them and read them and they were terrible, so he was going to send them back. And he came to my office with these, like holding these, and he, I said, what are you doing? 
And he said, well, I read these, and they're terrible. I'm gonna, <laughs> I think I thought I'd send them back. And I thought, in my brain, I thought, I'm pointing at my brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, in case you didn't know where my brain was. <laughs> I thought, I haven't seen them. There yeah. might be something good in there. And then I thought, why don't you trust him? You got it. You're never going to read them. Yeah. You don't have time. You're raising money now. You're building 42nd Street. You're never going to read those plays. Mm. Somebody has to winnow them out. Why don't you just trust this guy? He seems smart. Yeah. I thought, okay, fine. I finally said, okay. But I went through a whole thing in my head. I mean, it probably was fast. And he doesn't remember there being a big pause. But, yeah. but I remember it vividly. And that was the introduction. And that was his beginning as, an art, as a literary manager. Oh, that's how <clears> I had, wow. But he volunteered, and he volunteered to just help out. Had you ever had someone read plays for you? No. Wow, wow, okay. No, I was doing it. Yeah. You know, it was like when the board said we have to have a, ma- a managing director. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> Somebody's going to come in and tell me what to do? I know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Bob, you don't, you don't need to do this. Yeah. And they convinced me that we had to hire a managing director. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I gave in because yeah. it was easier to give in than fight it. Mm-hmm. But that's how Andre started. Mm-hmm. He was just wandering around, and he saw the pile of scripts, and he started to read me. He had no background for it whatsoever other than a good education yeah. at Harvard or something, but not for th- theater or yeah. not reading plays. I don't know what his education was, <laughs> but he had an aptitude for reading plays, obviously. Uh-huh. You know, he was good at it. So you got him his start. Oh, yeah. And he's still running Lincoln Center. Yes. Wow. And he's the one who made me teach. Oh, really? Because I wasn't, I didn't go to college. Well, I went for a very brief period of time, but I wasn't good at it. And I didn't want to be there. My mother wanted me to have something to fall back on. Mine too. Right? Mine and too. I had no intention of needing such a thing, but mm. I was trying, I'd, I'd, anyway, I, so I agreed to go finally. And I went to Queens College because they had an art history department. And I somehow thought, well, that'll be useful. <laughs> I don't know. Was it? No. <laughs> but I, uh, but I went to Queens College, and yeah. I drew, and I and I w- w- wandered over one day to the drama club was meeting, and I said, you know, I want to be part of this, and they said, have you ever done anything, kid? And I said, well, I've been in about fifty or sixty plays. They were like, what? And I explained where they all were. Yeah. Summer stock, 10 plays in 10 weeks, that adds up. Yeah. Why plays at the Y, plays at the temple, plays at school. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always in plays. Yeah. Acting. I was going to be an actor. Because my parents took me to see, Broadway was cheap in those days. It's unbelievable. So that ordinary people could afford to go. Yeah. That's why the theater was so successful. I love hearing that, the word ordinary people. Because, yeah, I wish more ordinary people could afford to go to Broadway. Yeah, it was $3. Yeah, Well, wow. you could afford that. Wow. You know, 2 yeah. or $3. Yeah. I went standing room all the time, and that was 90 cents. Wow. Oh, my goodness. 90 cents. Sometimes it was a dollar. Yeah. But I could afford it. Mm-hmm. So I would take the bus, and the bus stopped at my co- our corner. Oh. So I could go into New York for 35 cents, have lunch at the Automat for 20 cents, a nickel for pie, a nickel for beans, a nickel for coleslaw, and a nickel for a glass of milk. Wow. That was lunch. <laughs> and the, the bus was 35 cents. 
Wow. The ticket was 90 cents. If you add all that up, it's not even $5. And I've seen a Broadway show. And had a meal. And had a meal and traveled there. Wow. So that was available to me as a kid who was interested in the theater. Mm-hmm. It was available to me. It wasn't like, don't come in unless you're rich mm. or loaded with money or something. And you didn't feel like you were excluded either. No. And I loved standing room. I was in the orchestra, mm. and you know, during the first act, I'm going like this, and I see an empty seat, and in the intermission, oh, you, re- oh, yeah, yeah, I still do that in Broadway. <laughs> well, yeah, but you could do that. Yeah, yeah. And I saw everybody. I saw all the great stars, because I went to everything. I didn't know. I had no way of judging any of it. I just went. Yeah. If it seemed good, I'll go. And I went to the Lunts. I saw the Lunts one day by accident. Wow. I didn't mean to, but they were the great reigning couple on Broadway. And I couldn't get into Death of a Salesman on Lee J. Cobb's last day. And across the street, the Lunts were doing I Know My Love by S.N. Behrman. And I knew that he was a famous playwright. I didn't know his plays, but I knew he was a famous playwright. I knew they were a famous acting couple. So I thought, well, I'll go. And they were wonderful. Yeah. And they started out being 90 years old, and they got progressively younger during the play till they were teenagers. Oh, wow. I know. It was a theater trick, you know, it was as cheap as they come. Yeah. But it was great. Yeah. And so then I went to everything, and then finally they did The, the Visit, mm-hmm. which was their great. They'd never done a play, a serious play. They'd done light comedies all the time. Mm. But they were brilliant, and I saw them. So it affected me. That yeah. was my education yeah. in the theater. So, new plays. Yeah. Is there a pull, either or, for classic versus a, a brand new, never produced play? I think what you, what you need to have, you, meaning the artistic director, mm-hmm. when you're choosing a season, you need to have a reason why you want to do this or that play. Mm-hmm. When I did Romeo and Juliet, I had a reason for doing it. When I did Hamlet, I didn't. I say that now. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say it then. I mean, I had a scheme in mind for Hamlet, but it wasn't a good one. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't sufficient. Whereas with Romeo and Juliet, I had a real, I had a terrific idea about it. And, and I did it and, it, and it worked because people were calling the box office all the time saying, is he going to do it in modern dress? <laughs> sort of annoyed. And the box office said they didn't know because I hadn't told them. Oh. And I was, it wasn't in any kind of dress. It was made up clothes. Yeah. And the young people were barefoot and the adults had shoes. That was about <laughs> it in terms of a concept. Interesting. But it was a good It was a really good production. And I doubled... The banishment scenes, the two of them, Romeo tells the uh, Friar Lawrence and Juliet tells the nurse, (gasps) and they follow each other. So I did them. That's great. uh, I intermingled the two lines of the two scenes and did them at the same time. That sounds cinematic. Yeah, it was good. I feel like I want to steal that idea. (laughs) It was good. It was theatrical. Yeah. Uh, and when you read the play, those two scenes happen sequentially because that's how you have to write it. Mm-hmm. But in fact, they're taking place at the same period of time. Yep. So let's just do them at the same time. Okay, fine. And then when he said, banish, banish Ed, right, to the friar, she would like have a little, oh, I don't want to think about it. And when he, when she said it, he would have a little. <gasps> so there was a little something... And then they moved closer. It was a bare stage. 
So they just slowly, inexorably moved closer, but they did not see each other. That sounds beautiful. So it was theatrical, yeah. you know, and it was the play. <clears throat> and it began with their death, because the, he, the prologue says that they've died. I so forget you, what the exact line is. You reimagined it, really. But they, they were dead. So I had the two bodies downstage center, and everybody grieving. And the prologue says, what dost thou say of this? So you turned Romeo and Juliet into a new play. It was a new play. Mm. I just, because he, the friar says it at the end, and then he has an interminable speech where he tells them what happened. Well, yeah. we already know that. Yeah. So let's not sit through it again. I say that all the time. Every play, new or, new or old, is a new play. Yeah, but you see, we get in trouble with our union if you do that. I know, I know. <laughs> I, am, I am notoriously naughty in this, this, this regard, you know. <laughs> the world is what it is. It is, It's a indeed, funny place. Indeed, but, uh, but I had a great run, I have to say. And I, there were some flubs, but I don't remember them. Uh, so you can't ask me about them because I don't know what they were. But I probably had some. But I, we did a lot of good work, too. Mm. So. Well, you did, and uh, I'm proud to be part of Syracuse Stage along with you and your legacy. It's a great place, yeah. and I think Syracuse is a great town. Agreed. And I think people want to come to the theater. And, and I know that that's hard because it is expensive. Yeah. But people have to be accommodated so they can get in. Somehow, somehow people have to be, have to get in. Mm -hmm. There have to be some cheap seats that anybody can afford. Agreed. And then, you know. We do have pay what you can nights throughout the run now. They used to only be one day. Yeah. And now we've spread them out. So that oh, great. more folks can afford to come. Oh yeah, we're, tr we're trying to increase I think that's important. I agree. Because yeah. some people simply cannot afford it. Especially in a town like Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. No, I think that's a great idea. Pay what you can. I, I do too. I think that's a great idea. Because people will feel guilty after a while. And they'll up it by a dollar or two mm -hmm. or three or four or ten. Exactly. They're going to want better seats next time. <laughs> well, but, and, that, and that's right. Yeah. And I always say, and I, uh, and it is a rare comment for a lot of theaters I'm in. I don't think there's a bad seat in our theater, except for maybe the very side. But some people love no. those seats. I used to sit on the side sometimes yeah. when I would like pop in, yeah, yeah. just to see where how it's going. Uh -huh. And then I would think, I remember this. I would think these are good seats. I do. I, I too, I sneak in and I sit on the sides. Roger Morgan designed the interior of the theater, and he's a friend of mine. Oh. So we had a conversation about it. And he said to me, people in the theater, not in a concert hall. In a concert hall, people want to be by themselves so you can spread the seats out. Mm -hmm. In a theater, they have to become one. They do. So they're, in fact, shoulder to shoulder. And that's good because yeah. that means they're going to become one. And you always speak about the, they're a good house. It's singular. Yeah. It's a good house tonight. It's always singular. You never say they are a good house. That's true. You say it's a good house because they should be melded together. That's the way a theater works, not a concert, but a theater. I never thought about that distinction. No, why would we? Yeah. We're not architects. But <laughs> Roger was an architect, and he had to do, he did... Uh, um, Jiva. Jiva as well. And IRT. 
who we frequently co-produce with. Yes. So yeah, but those I, are huge houses. But 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 it feels very familiar whenever I work at those theaters right. compared to Syracuse Stage, which is Syracuse really Stage smart. is an intimate house. It is, and there's not because I would very often sit on the side if I was sneaking in just to see how it's going, mm-hmm. and I would sit on the extreme side, and I thought this is a great seat. Yeah, nothing wrong with this seat. <laughs> no, so you, yeah, it's a great house for theater. Well, Bob, I can talk to you all day. I'm so grateful to you for giving your time and talking to us. And okay. thank you for everything. That's it, folks. For more information about subscriptions and about our 50th anniversary season, visit us at SyracuseStage.org. Syracuse Onstage is produced in partnership with WCNY and original music composed by Luther Masanto.